0: Welcome to Mind Tricks Radio, where we'll explore contemporary topics in psychology through interviewing creative and innovative thinkers in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan. Thanks for tuning in. We're here today with Dr. Tyler Ralston, a clinical psychologist specializing in the treatment of adult women who have been in abusive relationships. Dr. Ralston maintains a lively telehealth practice in addition to his in-person practice in Honolulu, Hawaii. Tyler, welcome back. It's great to have you. So you
1: came on the first episode of Mind Tricks Radio way back in October, where you talked with me about unwarranted guilt, and that's been a very popular episode, and you were brave to be the first subject of my, my podcast uh, endeavors here. So I appreciate that, and it's, it's great to see you again. Thank you for having me back. It's nice to be back, and, uh, and I look forward to this. We're talking today about relationship red flags, which is something that I know I've had a number of patients of mine, and people are interested in understanding better about how to evaluate and assess their relationships. And let's talk a little bit, before we get delve into this subject matter, about how and why you got interested in this particular subject in your clinical practice.
2: So when I was in graduate school, I was fortunate enough to get volunteer opportunities at the National Center for PTSD, where there were some large studies going on with formerly battered women. I got heavily involved in some of that work, and it just furthered my interest in helping women, particularly because it's just such a, you know, there's there's just a constant need for helping women who are in bad relationships.
1: And you, in your practice, you see mostly women, right?
2: Only women, yeah, only adult women. I have a very specialized practice where I treat only adult women who've experienced traumas or have some form of anxiety. And most of the traumas are interpersonal related traumas, whether it's you know mental abuse, emotional abuse, physical, sexual, spiritual, any form of abuse, power and control, that's what I treat. This
1: subject of relationship red flags, it sounds to me like you've probably had quite a bit of experience recognizing them in your patients that you've treated. How do we define abuse, first of all? What is abuse?
2: Well, there's several forms that, I mean, there's many forms that abuse can take. Often it's anything where a person is being you know, controlled or having power exerted over them in ways that increase fear or cause harm uh, or preventing a person from doing what they wish. You know, or forcing them to to do things that they don't want to do. And and it can be, you know, uh, physical abuse, obviously, you know, hurting somebody physically, hurting somebody sexually, doing things to them sexually that they don't give permission to be done to them. Mental mind control and mental abuse, you know, emotional abuse, there's financial abuse. Any, any of these forms, there's more as well, but uh, these are some of the common ones that lead to people being controlled basically by another person.
1: Let's see, I know you've talked about belittling and demeaning. How is that a form of abuse? Like, how does that play out?
2: Everybody has a right to their opinion. And when a person belittles or demeans another person's opinion, they're disrespecting that other person's right. And it's a subtle form often of abuse sometimes not subtle, sometimes it's very obvious, but it it can be very subtle at times. And so a lot of people don't recognize it as abusive, or even a red flag. And so uh, that's one of, you know, many forms that's not okay for a person to do to another person.
0: Let's talk a little
1: bit about the phenomenology of the abuser. How do we know who's going to be an abusive person? Mm. And what makes them abusive? Like, like, who is this person that's abusing somebody else?
2: I wouldn't say that there is a foolproof way to determine if someone will turn out to be an abuser in a relationship. There may be out there some way, but there's not one that I know. If if I knew it, I would be sharing that with everybody I know in the world. (laughs) Um, But uh, short of that, there are some pretty good ways to greatly minimize the chances that a person will end up in an abusive relationship or end up with in a relationship with an, a person who will become abusive. Uh, again, it's not a guarantee, but there's some ways to identify red flags that are indicators that a person will be abusive and to elicit those red flags. And I guess we'll talk about those in a moment, it sounds like. I know that
1: we've spoken about this in the past, and there are kind of personality types or types of people who tend to be abusive people. I just would like to get a sense of who these people are,
2: uh, well, particularly, um, there tends to be a focus on self and a lack of empathy
3: mm-hmm.
2: or genuine positive regard for other people. And it's not usually super necessary to determine if somebody's narcissistic or got antisocial personality disorder or something like this. It's just really important to determine, you know, do they have any of the red flags?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because, you know, if even a person who might not formally, have antisocial personality disorder, they may have you know, some red flags here or there that are just really going to become big issues down the line once a person is in a relationship with that person with those red flags. You can kind of think of the red flags early on as sort of the tip of the iceberg. And most people don't really pay attention to those early on, or they discount them. They think, oh, it's just a small thing, but uh, right. it's good to pay attention to them because down the line, they can turn into really big things. And then, and then, it's almost too late. It's like the person's already in the relationship, you know?
1: Well, I totally agree with the red flags. And again, that's um, a big part of what I wanted to discuss with you today. I'm just asking about the personality types because I don't know, maybe this isn't sort of what you see very frequently, but I know for me, like when relationship stuff comes up with my patients who I see, and there's an abusive partner or they just, the partners just really, you know, kind of a schmuck for whatever reasons, A lot of times my patients really want to understand why it's almost like they they need an explanation for what makes their other partner tick and that may be further into the relationship than we're talking about that recognizing the red flags early on but a lot of times they want to understand like why is this person acting like this what do i need to do to be able to kind of convince them or change them Mm -hmm. or show them the light Mm -hmm. and i find that There's really nothing, these -hmm. other people, these abusive people have these personality traits that there's no rationalizing or Mm -hmm. convincing or making things okay. And Mm -hmm. that's why I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's helpful to just acknowledge that and recognize that.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I have the same thing in my practice. A lot of people go like, why? And what, you know, they'll often say things like, why, why doesn't he realize that he's ruining my love for him? Or why does he keep doing this? Or why does, and so uh, you're exactly right. It's it's usually he's not going to change with this stuff is what we find. Usually in my practice, the abusive people who are not my clients, the receiver of the abuse are my clients. Usually, the people in my practice come in holding out sort of hope. You know, maybe he'll change if I can just understand why. Or so, as soon as I r- recognize that, we usually will do some work in helping my clients to accept that he's this way and he's probably not going to change. Because once a person can accept that, then they're in a better position to make changes on their end to like get out of the relationship. But if they're still, holding on to, you know, why is he like this? And maybe if I can just understand it, I can somehow do something to get him to change or something. And it's really important to recognize that it's, it's really not anything that she can do because it's not about her. It's about him. And he's got this way about him that he has deficits in empathy and he's controlling and it's all about him. And usually they're highly unlikely to change.
1: Right. Those are those core personality traits, the lack of empathy. I mean, Somebody's mm-hmm. not going to be able to develop empathy through right. trying to convince somebody they should be more empathetic. Right? That's right. That's, yeah, right. that's right. That's right. I know you also said something interesting about the types of people that these abusive types of personalities tend to pick. Mm-hmm. Could you say a little bit about that? You know,
2: the way that we conceptualize this is kind of like any other mammals, we could say. The abusers are predators and they look for, they seek out and are skilled at identifying others that show some traits of vulnerability. One of the main ones is niceness. Mm -hmm. For example, many of my clients have strong habits of saying sorry for all kinds of things and apologizing for all kinds of things that, that they're absolutely not to blame for. You know just little day- to- day things, I mean, all kinds of things, big things, medium things, whatever, but just things that they're not to blame for, and yet they have very strong habits, a lot of the time of saying sorry or apologizing, which is one example of this niceness that tends to happen for a lot of these people that get taken advantage of. Niceness is a good thing to have. We always want to keep that, but it's correlated with or paired with some other traits like deficits in assertiveness and um, some other things that make them vulnerable we kind of think about it like i was saying that you know like animals if you think about lions on the safari and they're looking at a herd of gazelle or zebra or something like this they're not looking to attack the biggest strongest most confident one they're looking for ones that are easy to isolate from the pack, that have maybe been wounded in the past, that are maybe smaller, maybe that don't really recognize or know what the thing is with lions, so they're more likely to just kind of not really understand about the lions. And the lions can separate those ones and then take advantage of them. Sometimes we say something like, you know, we'll share that many women who have prior histories of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse are overly concerned with avoiding disapproval. And in their efforts to avoid conflict, they're often passive and unassertive. And they may even have a hard time saying no or standing up for their rights in other ways. And they may allow themselves to be treated with an inordinate amount of disrespect. In addition, many very nice women tend to accept an excessive amount of responsibility when things go wrong. Uh, and say all those sorries that I was just talking about. And they're easily made to feel guilty, which then also makes them inclined to go along with the wishes of other people. Because when abusers can stir up guilt and distress in another person, which nobody likes, of course, mm-hmm. and then they can tie that guilt and distress with something that they want the other person to do mm-hmm. to their benefit, you know, in other words, like you will feel better if you do this for me. Mm -hmm. And they don't even have to say it that way. It's just tied with it. Then what happens is the other person who doesn't want the distress will be more likely to get rid of that distress by doing what the abuser has pitched to them.
1: Yeah. So it's easier for them to be manipulated by an abusive person who knows just how to push the right buttons in this person Mm -hmm. to get them to act or be the way that they want them to. And I think it's important to point out, I think you probably agree with this, that. It's not that, let's just say women, because as we're talking about that in your mm-hmm. practice right now, that the women don't have any uh, deficits. There's not something wrong with them. They just have these particular personality traits where an abusive person knows just how to use those to manipulate it to get what mm-hmm. they want. Whereas I imagine if these people were in relationships with healthy people, that the traits they have would work really well in their relationship.
3: Mm-hmm. So their partners mm-hmm.
1: would encourage mm-hmm. them to be able mm-hmm. to speak up and they would respect it. And they would mm-hmm. also enjoy mm-hmm. and celebrate the other person's easygoingness without mm-hmm. taking advantage of them and manipulating. And that would be more like a healthy relationship.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But the abusive person knows exactly how to push those buttons to manipulate and that's where the potential problem
2: is there. Uh, here's Here's an example to illustrate one of the big ways that it happens is if, if an abuser, you know, does something, let's say an abuser hits a person and that receiver of the hit wants to leave the relationship, the abuser will then say something like, or can say, just as an example, say something like, you know, if you leave this relationship, you will be breaking up the family and the kids won't have an intact family.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, so hearing that brings up a lot of distress in the person who is hit. In addition to the distress they already have from being hit and, you know, the bad relationship. And so the abuser, by saying that that way, is implying or saying, well, you know, or, and sometimes we'll even just come out and say, don't leave the relationship. And the recipient of that message sees, oh, okay, well, if I leave, I'm going to, you know, the cop between a rock and a hard place, basically. Right. And so the abuser will stir up things that will bring up more distress if the recipient takes the action that is not what the abuser wants. And that way leverages the person to do what the abuser wants.
1: And that probably the abuser knows that the other person highly values wanting to be a good mother, a good parent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when she's hearing, you're going to be a terrible person for leaving, right? she's going to say, well, oh, gosh, you know, I don't want to be a terrible person. I want to be a good mother maybe I should just cut them some slack here and and deal with it. And I'm Mm -hmm. guessing the abusive person knows that this is just how to get under the person's skin. For sure. Just what to say to Mm -hmm. convince them to manipulate them to stay. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about red flags. Can you explain a little bit about what red flags are?
2: Yeah. Red flags are early warning signs that someone has the potential to become an abusive partner. And so we'd want to recognize those red flags early on before a person is getting really emotionally connected to the other person so that they can then make a decision based on that information about whether to proceed or not. But even once a person's already in a relationship, it's often helpful to learn about red flag because there may be some not good things that are going on already and it will be good for them to clearly recognize that and can support them making a decision about whether to stay or to leave if they're seeing red flags.
1: So red flags are things that people should be aware of to understand and evaluate their relationship whether it's ongoing mm-hmm. and hopefully early on to prevent them from getting too involved mm-hmm. but they're helpful either way
2: yeah mm-hmm. and i'll just say that recognizing the red flags also in my practice at least with the clients come to my practice a lot of times the red flags are really clear signs to like okay don't proceed in this relationship if they're already in a relationship and they're seeing red flags they're usually pretty bad things, usually. Whether it's mental, emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual, financial abuse, whatever form. I suppose it's possible, you know, there's degrees of all this stuff. There becomes a level at which the red flags are, are red flags, and it's going to be better for the person to get out of the relationship. But I wanted to kind of distinguish that it's not necessarily always the case that when you're in a relationship that a red flag that might be showing up, it means you have to leave the relationship. There's a big kind of distinction with that sort of thing. We can talk about that in a bit if you'd like.
1: Yeah. Well, I think what you're saying is it's good to be aware of what these potential red flags are because you don't want to be in an abusive relationship. But just because somebody may do something to a minor level, you might stop, take a look at it and decide, all right, I should probably keep my eye on that. But you know what, when I look at everything else, he hasn't done this and. 20 other situations and maybe this day he was having a bad day and so he was a little bit annoying but this isn't sort of the pattern here is is that kind of what you're getting at
2: kind of um if it's early on and the person's not like in a relationship yet i would say the red flags are a pretty good thing to like go the other direction don't Mm -hmm. go out the person if the person's already in a relationship and has more invested in maybe kids and stuff The red flags are still red flags and are not good things. I'm not suggesting the person would have to, you know, accept anything more or anything like that or accept mistreatment or something like that. But the the big difference, maybe I'll just say it at this time. The big difference is whether the abuser is willing to resolve conflict in a mutually respectful way.
3: Mm, Okay
2: or really, really whether whether the, whether the abuser is able to resolve conflict in a mutually respectful way, and if they're not able, are they willing to learn? Mm-hmm. If a person is in a relationship already and there's a little bit of a red flag starting to show in one area or something, you know usually we would say early in a relationship ah that's a that's a bad sign, just get out, don't proceed, but if you're already heavily invested, then a person may choose to try to see if that partner is able to resolve that problem in a mutually respectful way. And if they're not, if they're willing to genuinely learn how, mm-hmm. and if they're not with that, then we'd say, that's a really bad sign. You probably want to think about getting out of the relationship.
0: I see that
1: makes sense.
2: Yeah. Cause it could grow into a worse thing or if it's already bad, you know, then it can, it, it would be good to get out.
1: So you have co-authored this book and remind me of the name of the book.
2: Uh, The book is titled Treating PTSD in Battered Women.
1: Right. And when I was looking through it, I saw this handout 14.1. I believe that is red flags that indicate someone may have the potential to become abusive. Yes. And there's a number of items on here on the checklist to look for red flags, which I thought would be a good place for us to start. Maybe we can speak at some depth on, on each one of these, uh, some more than others if we need to. But mm-hmm. this looks like a good place to just sort of examine these red flags and go through them. Sure. So the first one, possessiveness, how mm-hmm. does that look like in the context of a relationship as a red flag?
2: Well, predatory men tend to be very possessive and controlling, and, and they sometimes cause their partners to believe that they're owned like a piece of property. Mm. And so sometimes it shows up like, especially early on, he wants to keep the person all to themselves. He wants to know a lot about where the woman is spending her time, what she's up to. You know, early in a relationship, it sometimes looks like flattery. Mm-hmm. And it can be confused with that. He might call a bunch of times during the day when she's at work or something and, you know, kind of say, hey, G, honey, you know, I, I, I tried calling you an hour ago and I, I missed you, you know, um, you know, where were you? Are you okay? And, you know, it kind of sounds like a nice call, but it's actually almost like a stalking kind of a possessive call mm-hmm. or can be. It can be. And so possessiveness tends to be something that we want to watch for because abusers tend, not always, but a large majority of abusers tend to be possessive, very possessive.
1: So how would you tell the difference between the nice checking up on you, caring about you versus this level of possessiveness that's inappropriate?
2: That is a good question. It can be challenging at times. Early on, if a person wants to test it out, they can ask the guy to not call so much. You know, even if she really likes the guy, it's early on. Don't don't call me so much. Call me one time a day. Call me after work. You know, Mm -hmm. that will be a good opportunity to see how he responds. And abusers who are possessive will tend to not like that kind of a thing, because it's mm-hmm. it's challenging their possessiveness.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, you know, there's degrees of it, of course, but that's one way, one of the main ways to check that out. Sure.
1: So how about jealousy?
2: Jealousy is another huge red flag. Jealous men tend to be insecure. They tend to also be very possessive. Jealousy and possessiveness go together a lot.
1: Similar kind of question. How do we tell what would be normal, I put that in quotes, normal mm-hmm. jealousy versus a red flag jealousy? Because I imagine most people, Mm-hmm. have the tendency to feel jealous from time to time. It's, that's in and that's of true. itself isn't an abnormal experience,
3: mm-hmm. right?
2: Again, the, a good way to do it would be to present some challenges early in the relationship. Some of the things that we recommend is before a person is committed to another person, before, you know, a woman is saying she's the girlfriend of a guy and she can say, I'm going to go out with another person tonight, or I'm going to go out with, a, it could be a platonic friend. And we actually encourage women to be dating uh, several guys. Um, but not boyfriend, girlfriend, but going on dates with several guys to really get to know them very, very well before kind of commitments, you know, over months and months and months to really check this out. And so just by nature of letting each of the guys know that she's going on dates, you know, I'm going to a movie with somebody else tonight or this weekend or whatever. I'm going out to dinner with somebody else. She doesn't have to share all the details and it'd be good not to, but that will trigger an abuser to show his jealousy fairly prominently.
1: So there's a vetting process.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: interesting because both with the possessiveness and the jealousy, you've talked about this idea of intentionally throwing out challenges to see yes. how the person will react. Yes. And I imagine that's, that's a big part of the work you do with people
2: in terms yes. of
1: assessing vetting relationships.
2: Well, yes. Strategically, it's really important, actually, because remember a little while ago, I mentioned that one of the hallmark traits that abusers tend to have is that they're not able to resolve conflict in a mutually respectful way. And they're genuinely not even interested in learning how to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, if, if we know that about potentially abusive guys, then we can use that or a woman can use that to her advantage early on in a relationship. And the way that she can use that to her advantage is she can intentionally or purposely stir up you know, from time to time, some disagreements or some, you know, not, not to try to scare the guy away or anything, but just, you know, hey, we've gone to three movies you want to go to. I'd like to go to a movie that I'd like to go to this weekend,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, or disagree about some things, like exert her opinion. Don't be so, remember how I was mentioning nice is like a big vulnerability trait. Don't be so nice that she's willing to just go along with anything he wants to do you know, it's like kind of stir some of this up and and express her opinion and her wants. And that will tend to challenge abusers uh, in a variety of ways, especially if it's done over time. You can usually, one can usually start to see a pattern emerge in the abuser that will be very helpful in determining if they will be good in a relationship or not.
0: I see. So
1: we're not talking about stirring up trouble by like throwing a monkey wrench in It's something that doesn't really matter to the woman. Like Right. Hey, we've gone to three things you want to go to. I want to go see this movie about aliens, when actually she doesn't want to see the movie about aliens. She's right. just doing it to cause <laughs> trouble. It would be something she really wanted to do or was important to her to see how he would react to that.
2: Well, that, that that's true. Usually it's that way. But what I also do recommend stirring up some about that aren't, you know, the example you gave, I, I would recommend some sometimes people don't really have a strong opinion about things. I see, okay. And if they don't, then an abuser can take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And so we would say, even if a person doesn't have a strong opinion about something, go ahead and kind of make it like you do have a strong opinion about something, like you really want to go see that movie about aliens, you know, I got or you. or whatever, just to see how the person reacts. And again, it's, it's a balancing act. And so in the therapeutic process, we talk about what might be a good amount to kind of do to, to have these sort of tests, but at the same time, not necessarily totally scaring the guy away if, if he's genuinely a good guy and not an abuser, you know? <laughs> right. Got it. So yeah.
1: what about dislike of your family and friends? Why is that a red flag?
2: Yeah, that, that's a red flag because if we go back to kind of the uh, the mammals on the safari, Savannah, excuse me, I said safari earlier, on the Savannah, a person's family and friends are their support group. If an abuser can start to separate the person from their support group then they have an easier time of controlling that person Mm -hmm. and so one of the ways that sometimes they'll do that is they'll start to express dissatisfaction in various ways sometimes very subtly of family and friends Mm -hmm. and then kind of leverage that so that the woman will be in a position to somewhat choose between either her family and friends or him Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and there's varying degrees of it but over time she may in some cases start to choose him if he's already able to exert some control in other ways to help that happen. So basically
1: uh, a way of separating her from her support system.
2: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, like lions would separate a, you know, a gazelle from the rest of the herd, or mm-hmm. cheetahs might separate a gazelle from the rest of the herd.
1: So one of the items in the checklist here is being in an, a hurry to get romantically involved
2: yeah, that's that's an interesting one, especially in this day and age with, you know, all these apps and stuff that people hook up kind of quickly. Yeah. Uh, Snapchat or these kinds of things. Usually what we say is if, if a woman can really, in her words and her thinking, if she really thinks that she can have sex and be liberated about it and and you know, we not get emotionally connected and do all this. You know, and and also have sex safely, then, you know, she can do that. That's her choice. She can do that. For many women, what I've found in my practice, and many, 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 many clients have mentioned this to me, that there tends to be a strong emotional connection that happens once they've had sexual intercourse or some kind of sexual activity, even non-sexual intimacy Mm -hmm. with a person. When that happens, that strong emotional connection is starting to build. It not only can skew objectivity and looking at potential other red flags, but it makes it harder to get out of the relationship if red flags are starting to show up. And so we usually will say, try to find out as much about the person as you can before doing anything sexual intimacy included, that would you know, get a person connected to a potential abuser. Mm-hmm. And so abusers want to try to have the sexual intimacy and the relationship rushed and happen, not only so that they, they can say, okay, she's mine, and they, they know more where she is and what she's doing, and they can start to control her in all those ways. But with the sexual intimacy, many abusers know on some level, whether consciously or subconsciously, that if she has sex with him, she's going to be more emotionally connected to him and therefore he can then control her better.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So this is the abusive person pushing the sexual contact and the intimacy faster than the other person may want to have happen to them because they're trying to evaluate the safety of the relationship without getting too emotionally attached to the person too quickly.
2: Uh, Yes, and I'll, I'll say that many people just, don't even know to go slow. Mm
1: -hmm. It's not
2: like they even want to go slow. They think this is just what you do. You have sex on the first date or the first week or the first month even. Mm
1: -hmm. And they don't Uh, have to do that.
2: Yeah. They don't have to do that. Many think that that's just what you do. And so they do it, but they don't realize it's, you know, sometimes I kind of think of it and I don't know if this is the best metaphor now, but it's sort of like walking on a car to buy a car and just sort of standing at the entry to the The car lot, and just sort of pointing across the lot and saying, "Yeah, I'll um, I'll take that one. Let me let me give Mm -hmm. you sixty thousand dollars for this car." There's been there's been no test driving, no checking out. You know, in an ideal world, you'd be able to test drive cars from like five or six dealerships for like a year or more, and then gradually weed them out and narrow it down to like the one that really works best for your needs, and then finally go back to the lot with that one car that works best for you and say, "Okay, here's my money." You know? sure. I don't know if that's the the best metaphor. I don't well, it makes
1: that. a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. I don't want to be insensitive by saying it that way, but uh, it's well, just kind of like you want to know about such a big thing before you get, get involved.
1: Yeah. It doesn't sound insensitive to me at all. It, it to me, it sounds like just trying to approach uh, love and dating and relationships with a little bit more objectivity because not everybody that you can get involved with, as we're talking about here, it, is a safe person to be with. And That's so um, having a little more intentionality about it is good for people. That's right. Let's talk about lying.
2: Big red flag.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, just real briefly, like in an abusive relationship, how do, how do does one usually see lying play out
2: with an abusive a, person? Abusers will lie about all kinds of things very commonly. And they'll often even lie when they don't even need to lie.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, it's just sort of like It's their MO. Yeah. It's like an example would be, you know, a, a woman says to her new boyfriend, for example, like, Oh, you know, how come you said you weren't at the mall yesterday? And he'll say, Because I wasn't at the mall. And she'll say, Well, my sister said she saw you there. And he'll say, Well, your sister's crazy. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm. So he's not not only lying, but you know, on top of that, he's putting down her her family member, her sister. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a very simple example of the kind of thing that comes up over and over. It can be lying about, you name it, all kinds of things. They just tend to lie a lot.
1: Is that what people refer to as gaslighting? Like telling telling somebody something they know is true actually isn't true because they're lying about it. And it just makes the person feel like they must be crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Gaslighting involves lying and dishonesty and power and control. And it's a classic term that Mm -hmm. is used to describe that kind of thing.
1: So how about imposition of his opinions or beliefs?
2: Yeah, uh, a lot of abusers will be very dominant in their opinions uh, and exert that dominance over their partners, kind of telling them how things need to be or how things are and very um, aggressive almost or forceful in conveying their opinions uh, or the way that quote things should be uh, over their partner, you know, there tends to kind of be, I don't want to say two categories, but a lot of abusers tend to be that way, but some abusers tend to be the opposite and not very domineering. They tend to almost be like little children
3: mm.
2: to their partner like, you know, playing video games all day at home and they don't remember passwords for bank accounts. And yet she's the one who's out working. She's the one who comes home and cooks dinner. She's the one who takes care of the kids. She's bringing in all the income for the family. And he's just like a little child not doing anything. And sometimes those folks will also impose their opinions in a strong way. But usually we see the strong opinions being opposed by kind of the, the more domineering, patriarchal mm-hmm. kind of in a relationship. And I'll also add actually that just because, you know, we have red flags that we look for, it doesn't necessarily mean that all abusers will have all these red flags. Even just one or two can be a really big problem in a relationship. And some people who are abusers have actually the opposite of a red flag. Like, for example, we talk about unreliability as a red flag. Mm Mm-hmm do what he says he's going to do, when he says he's going to do it, you know, that sort of thing. And if he doesn't, then that's a red flag. And yet some abusers are very reliable. They're super controlling. They're very reliable, very punctual. So, you know, we always kind of look at it that way. But generally speaking, the things that we're talking about and more are red flags that we want to be concerned about.
1: Not everything on this list has to be checked off in order for a person to be abusive. And in fact, the opposite may be true in some of these things. That's right. So belittling your opinions or beliefs, that's mm-hmm. similar to imposition of his opinions and beliefs.
2: They go hand in hand.
1: Like they go mm-hmm. hand in hand. And is, yeah. What's going on with, this, with these two that the abuser feels threatened by mm-hmm. the other person's potential of independently having their own opinions and beliefs?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It's count, that would be counter to his ability to control her. So they try to, uh, you know, assert their control in many ways. But in this regard, it's by belittling her opinions or beliefs and imposing his opinions and beliefs, you know, and with enough repetition, many people in that kind of relationship will come to believe it and buy into it. And and that's when the the, abuser is really controlling the other person. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So these next three you have on the list here seem related and they also seem obvious at face value. but. I think maybe there's more to say about them, about the abuser showing physical aggression with others, verbally mistreating others and blaming others for his problems or mistakes. And how do we put this in the framework of recognizing it as a red flag in the relationship? For example, I imagine you're out to dinner, the guy is being super sweet to the person here. We're we're talking about uh, the woman in the relationship. It's the third date. He's really, really nice to her, but he treats the waiter really badly. I'm I'm wondering if that's sort of like a kind of example of that.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sometimes early on, a lot of times early on, an abuser's really nice with the woman that he's trying to get into the relationship because he knows that if he shows his true colors, if if he's an abuser, if he's got a bad temper, if he's an angry fighter, verbal controller type person, he knows that if he shows that, she may leave. Mm-hmm. And so they keep, that, they keep that in their check. And so it's really important, yeah, to be able to determine whether he has a bad temper or if he verbally mistreats others, or even if he's been physically violent with others in the past, because those things will likely come out at some point later on in the relationship if they haven't yet. Mm-hmm. We, we always recommend not only checking the guy out with these ones, but with a lot of these things, when the person is kind of dating early on and stuff at parties or barbecues or other gatherings, talk to other people that know him. You know, Hey, you know, what, what was so-and-so like when he was younger or, you know, what's he like at work and just kind of, you know, friendly kind of, but information gathering. Uh, And and ideally from people that aren't necessarily super close to the person, because you can start to hear some stories that people that aren't necessarily really good friends with a potential abuser might share. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I remember this one time he got in this fight or we were all out and he totally got super mad at, you know, his mom who was there also, or something like this, you know? Right.
1: So uh, I think that, so the thing is how he tends to act toward other people is probably a good indication how he's going to act toward you sooner or later.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I will say that one of the ones you mentioned that was blaming others. That's a really, really, really biggie that's super common is abusers will very, very commonly create a lot of problems that in their mind, they are never to blame for or rarely to blame for. And yet they will just place blame on the boss, their family member, their friend, the person working at the store. I mean, just anybody else they look to place the blame on, even though they cause the problems. And so you can see if you think back about how when I said that being very, very nice and apologizing a lot are some of the characteristics that make somebody vulnerable to being victimized. If an abuser blames a lot, then naturally he's going to gravitate towards somebody who's already willing to take the blame for things that they're not even to blame for. Somebody that apologizes a lot, you know? If you have three women and two of them don't apologize and they're very assertive and they're nice, but they're not like overly nice. And yet one of those three has deficits in assertiveness. She's overly nice. She apologizes a lot. That abuser is going to totally gravitate towards her.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's, I imagine it's a red flag because if this person is, you notice the person's blaming everybody else around them sooner or later, they're going to be blaming you. That's right. If you're the type of person who tends to, feel guilty and responsible, uh, yeah. then you may have a hard time speaking up against that's that.
2: That's right, that's right. Yeah. And, and that, that, like many of these other ones, are actually true, uh, that one in particular, true for even non-intimate relationships, just, you know, friends. That's a bit of a red flag, you know, to be around somebody right. who's just blaming others for all kinds of things, it's not, not a good sign.
3: Right.
1: Tyler, I think this might be somewhat self-explanatory, being a regular or past heavy user of alcohol or drugs Generally, one would expect that that's not a good recipe for a healthy relationship. But how does that work as a red flag to a person wanting not to get into an abusive relationship?
2: That's an interesting one, which is maybe a little bit different than some of the others in that a large majority of abusers, it seems, either have a past or current history of heavy drug or alcohol use. However, the opposite is not true it's not necessarily true that if a person is a heavy drug or alcohol abuser, that they are an abuser. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit different than a bunch of the other red flags in that the other red flags are pretty much, if you see it, it's a bad sign. Whereas this is like, if you see it, it might be a bad sign. So you want to watch for it. It's just something simply that's been then noted in some studies and stuff that a high percentage of abusers have past or current histories of drug and alcohol abuse.
1: Yeah. And I imagine that there would definitely be a very strong red flag there if the person was currently heavily abusing drugs or alcohol, even not so much necessarily that they're an abuser. They may or may not be an abusive person, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. usually heavy drug or alcohol use wreaks havoc in people's lives and probably be destabilizing to any possible relationship. Yeah. But the past drug and alcohol use is a little more tricky, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Because somebody could be, you could meet somebody and say, I'm, I'm an AA or NA, I haven't used in five years, I'm clean and sober, but it's still hard to determine is the fact that that person had that tendency to be a drug or alcohol abusing person five years ago, even though they're clean and sober now, an indication of potential abusiveness, and that's probably a tough one for people to navigate, because you mm-hmm. want to give people the benefit of the doubt if they've gotten their act together and changed mm-hmm. things around. Mm-hmm. But you're also saying that is a, a possibility of a red flag there because mm-hmm. of the correlations.
2: Mm-hmm. The way that I think about that in my practice, and, and you're right, man, many have, um, have turned their lives around a- in a very good way. Many, many, many have. And, and that's a good thing. The way that we conceptualize that sometimes in my practice is if we think about the drug or alcohol use, was it some form of coping to get through the world and if so what were they coping with and if they're not using that unhealthy form of coping anymore how are they now resolving or coping whatever that difficulty or problem was and is it a healthy way that they're coping now and so sometimes we'll kind of look at that not in a whole lot of depth but but kind of look at that and see like okay what, what, what does this look like today for this person. You know, in the past they might have been doing this, but what's it looking like today for them? Are they coping in healthy ways or is this a person that's just kind of stopped their drug and alcohol abuse but really isn't coping in healthy ways and and therefore there may be some problems that are going to show up in some form in the relationship, you know.
1: So that might be part of the vetting process we were talking about, mm-hmm. understanding your partner's previous drug and alcohol history, why it was going on and what a what they've done to self-improve and move forward and being convinced that this person is on a healthy trajectory in life. Mm -hmm. Item number 15, having a reputation as a womanizer. Mm -hmm. This seems pretty self-explanatory, but let's talk about it as a red flag. Why, how and why would this come up as a red flag for somebody in terms of, choosing if somebody could be an abusive person.
2: One of the one of the reasons it can be a red flag is that the person goes through a lot of partners, whether it's wives or girlfriends or whatever, because they're not able to have a lasting long, healthy Relationship—it's one of the, one of the main things actually that can signal that, and so we want to be careful about it for that reason. But there can be other reasons as well, like you know they just want to kind of have sex with a person, and then once they've done that, they move on to somebody else, and so they're really not interested in like you know developing a, a healthy relationship for the long run.
1: If the person has too many, has had too many partners, then it would be an indication that this person is not seeing women as sources of intimacy and connection.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: which is Mm -hmm. true for abusers probably Mm -hmm. may or may not be true for other people, but it's not Mm -hmm. a good sign.
2: And then, and just kind of use them and believe them, you know, Mm -hmm. or use them and control them and be really not good to them in various ways. And then the person tries to get out of the relationship and then does get out. And then the guy just goes on to another one, does the same thing. And then she Mm -hmm. tries to get out and then gets out and ends up just being this pattern that goes on and on and on, you know? How about invasion of privacy? That's an interesting one. Also, um, the, you know, many abusers will try to, you know, because they're jealous and insecure and possessive, that they will look through their new girlfriend's purse. They'll look at her emails or her social media accounts. They'll try to get her passwords. They'll read her mail. You know, go through things in her room if she's in the other room. I mean, there's a variety of ways that they tend to do that. And um, not all of them do, but it's a common, a common enough thing that it's a bit of a red flag, of course, because she has a right to privacy with this stuff, even when she's in the relationship, like married to, mm-hmm. uh, married to him. If they get married, that she has a right to her privacy always. And if he's disregarding that, he's not respecting a boundary of hers in a very physical, tangible way, and that will play out in non-tangible ways also. With, you know, not respecting when she says no or not respecting other things that she says, he's just pushing his way and crossing boundaries. Many, many abusers will tend to do that because they're jealous and insecure and they just want to kind of find out there's something else going on. Like, is she seeing somebody else or something like this? It's an interesting one that sometimes my clients will bring up that they've actually been the one to go, to go through his phone or social media, you know, these kinds of things, emails or whatever. And usually when I hear that and we look at it, we find that there's actually some substantial differences. Usually if she's invading his privacy, which is still not necessarily an okay thing to do, but usually if she's doing it, she's already got pretty good indication from maybe friends or family or others that he, he was seen fooling around with somebody or he is doing something that's not up and up. And she's just sort of looking for the confirmation. I'm not saying that it's okay to do that, but usually I hear it this way. Whereas if he's doing it to her, going through, you know invading her privacy there's often just not even any anything he's just stirring up looking. he's fishing he's fishing yeah he's for fishing
1: anything to validate his worry that she's not fully in his control and some way. Right. right So, you know one interesting thing about this tyler is in this age of social media how do you balance this idea about invasion of privacy because these days, people have online profiles on Facebook, on Instagram, Snapchat. They're being followed by any number of friends. And then this partner is also following and seeing everything that's being posted. Friends are posting things on a timeline. When does that become the balance of I'm just seeing everything that everybody else is seeing and it's, it's right in my face there and asking you about it and participating in it versus you're overstepping a line here and invading my privacy with my social media.
2: You know, Jen, the way that I approach that and with my practices is just make it really clear to people. If you're posting it out there, you're you're not in control. You know, it's it's out there and somebody mm-hmm. is going to find it. So if you if you don't want him to find it or don't want a guy to find it, you know, I mean, there, there, there is that balancing act of like, wow, he's really almost like stalking. He's looking at all my stuff. But if a person has posted it and it's publicly available.
1: Well, is it fair game though for him to question her on her friends and who's commenting on her stuff and wondering who he
2: is and uh,
1: what he's doing as a friend and the nature of their friendship? Like, I know that happens a lot.
2: Those are good opportunities for her to see how he responds. Right. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And he could post, she could post a picture of her with her arm around the friend or whatever and and it can be a test that's out there to see how he responds because a guy that is comfortable and secure will be like okay well that's a friend of hers or something you know and she's not my girlfriend she's not my wife she has a right to she can have these friends even if she is a girlfriend or wife she has a right to have guy friends and do things with guys if she wants Mm -hmm.
1: how about acting differently when the two of you are alone versus when you're with others
2: many abusers will try to hide their true selves, right? And so that will play out in this thing that you've just mentioned, acting differently when the two of them are alone versus when they're with others. And it can kind of go both ways. One way that we see it pretty commonly as a red flag is if he's real lovey-dovey or caring or or attentive to her when they're together, but when they're, and nobody else is around, versus when they're out with you know other people like at a party or some kind of a social gathering particularly if they're out where there's other women around if he's kind of aloof or standoffish you know sometimes they don't even wear their wedding ring or that kind of a thing you know and it's not like they have to wear their wedding ring but they will sometimes convey like I'm not with anybody mm-hmm. and therefore if they kind of like hit on another woman you know she may be less likely to get mad with him because he she doesn't know that he's with her mm-hmm you know, his his aloofness or standoffness is kind of serving a purpose for him to maybe flirt with other women or engage with other women in a way that would be pursuing them.
0: So we'd want to see consistent
1: behavior when around people and when alone, because that conveys uh, this person is on the same page as me. He treats me the same, hopefully good, Yeah, uh, when we're alone or when we're around other people, lets other people know that we're in a relationship, but not in an overly possessive sort of way. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Gen, gen generally speaking, I mean, most couples are going to be a little bit different when they're alone, of course, versus when they're with other people. But if you're seeing consistent and and sizable differences. Uh, that would be a bit of a red flag. And, and as I mentioned, it can go both ways. The other way is that, that a guy can be really nice and friendly and attentive and stuff when they're out together around other people. Everybody thinks he's a great guy and that sort of thing. But when they get back in the car or when they're at home, or when they're behind closed doors, when the two of them are alone, he just really lets down the show and he's, he's really a, a, a cruel or controlling or, mm-hmm. or mean or nasty guy. Uh, and so it shows up that way as well also. But the, the general idea is if there's really a pattern of a difference in the behavior one way or another between being alone or with others, that that's something to watch for is a red flag.
1: So the last one I wanted to ask you about, it kind of goes back to the personality style of the abuser, and that is noticing charm or charisma. <laughs> yeah. so tell me about that.
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting one. and in in that This is kind of like um, one of the other ones that we talked about where Charm or charisma is by no means in and of itself a red flag there can be a lot of really great guys that are not going to be abusive that are very charming and very charismatic and fun to be with and the whole Mm -hmm. thing and that can be fine however as a whole abusers tend to be very charming and charismatic why is that? Well, part of the reason for that is thought to be that they can say really charming things or give overly excessive compliments and flattery or however the charm wants to play out that are, that are really exaggerations or lies. And they can do that easily because it goes back to that lacking of empathy internally. They don't necessarily have the, you know, they have deficits in the, the moral compass or the empathy compass that would keep the rest of us in check. If we thought about saying, you know, a a thing that wasn't true or a lie in, in these regards, you know, it's sort of like most people when they say, hey, you know, you're the best person I've ever, you know, they do some kind of very charming, charismatic, flattering kind of statements, for example, most people would be like, oh, that's not me. That's not right to say that. I don't even know this person that well. And yet for these abusers, they can just say things like that because there's no problem internally for them. There's no discrepancy. Once a person becomes familiar with what the red flags are to look for, they can start to use some strategies to try to elicit these red flags. Because like we talked about earlier, as I mentioned earlier, that if a person can elicit the red flags, they can say, okay, well, what, what you know, this is, this is a...
1: Stirring up the conflict and doing yeah. some tests and see whether mm-hmm. or not the person acts in a normal sort of way versus it pokes the possessiveness, jealousy, these red flags that we would want to be concerned Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. You also talked about having many examples, not just one, right, Mm
3: -hmm. of
1: red flags Mm -hmm. and of behavior Mm -hmm. over time, I'm guessing. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, generally, if if we can have a bigger sample size, we're more likely to see what this is really about. You know, if sometimes a person will say, oh, well, I, you know, I told him I want to go see this movie instead of this movie. And he said, sure. So okay, he passed. He's a great guy. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and proceed with, you know, getting more involved with him. And I'll be like, no, 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 That's not the way to do that. We want to over time in a variety of circumstances, in a variety of contexts, you know, we want to really challenge him here and there over, over many months, six months, eight months, 10 months, you know, many Abusers will really push for the sexual intimacy quickly. It will be a bit of a challenge. You know, they sometimes will leave. Like, I'm not getting some sex. I don't want to hang out with this person. Mm-hmm. If he genuinely enjoys her company and who she is as a person and is respectful and stuff, then he may be more likely to stay around if there's no sex involved. Mm-hmm. And yet, some will still say, well, you know, sort of like, how long is it going to take before we have sex? And what we will usually encourage is for her to not give a specific time frame is mm-hmm. to just say i don't know how long it will take or if we'll even be having sex but i'd like you to please stop bringing the topic up
1: mm-hmm. you know so it weeds people out because mm-hmm. you're really getting a sense that this person is here spending time with me yeah because he cares about me and doesn't care about just having the sex that's not the reason why he's here
2: right that, right. that
1: doesn't weed out all of the abusers i'm sure all right but it's one of the red flags that can help weed some of them out. Right. You will talked about openly disagreeing about things. That's mm-hmm. challenging. If I put out my opinion about something or I have mm-hmm. a dissenting opinion about it, mm-hmm. uh, how does he handle that?
2: Mm-hmm. On that one, it's okay, of course, and even healthy for two people to, to share their opinions and talk about them if they're differing and to share ideas and that sort of thing. And it would be natural for, each person to have somewhat of an interest in wanting the other person to agree with or see their opinion. But it's when we really get into, you know, if he's belittling her opinion telling her, you know, fairly forcefully, this is the way that it is, you know, imposing his opinion, that sort of thing that, that it's getting into a red flag. And so that will sometimes come out when she shares her opinion or speaks up about things. And if that happens, you know, uh, um, in the context of even other red flags and stuff too, then for sure it's it's not going to be looking good. You know, those red flags are signaling this could be a potentially really bad relationship. Generally, a good thing in all of these is a lot of them are intended not only to, you know, challenge what he's doing or saying, but really a lot of them have a heavy component of stirring up uncertainty in him. Uncertainty is very uncomfortable for people, right? It will tend to, Stir up anxiety and that sort of thing. So if she does strategies such as "oh, I'm just going to go out with somebody else," you know, it doesn't really say who, or because you know she's not obligated to say who or anything like that. She has a right to go out with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That will stir up some uncertainty in him, and it will be uncomfortable for him. And when people are uncomfortable like that, they're more likely to show some of their true colors to try to get that discomfort to go away, to try to regain some sense of control over the situation or over her.
1: Tyler, thanks so much for talking with me about relationship red flags. And this topic is super interesting and very important to people. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Mind Tricks Radio. I hope you have enjoyed the program. For more information about Mind Tricks, please go to my website, www.waikikahealth.com. Please be sure to subscribe to Mind Tricks Podcast and accompanying blog to be notified of new episodes of Mind Tricks. Please be sure to follow Mind Tricks on Facebook by following and liking posts by myself, your host, Dr. Aaron Kaplan.